Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Better Than Before podcast. This is Tony Richards, along with producer Bill. Hello, Tony. And project manager Whitney. Hello. Such a great uh, week this week. Great time at Missouri Boone County Humane Society yesterday. We had a great time. Walked a lot of dogs, cleaned up a lot of stuff around around the Humane Society and overall. You know, when you go help out a volunteer organization, it's not only good for them, but it also makes you feel good too. Right. Definitely. I am uh, going to share with you the funniest Twitter feed that I have found lately. I didn't really find it. It was recommended to me by the uh, corporate attorney of MFA Incorporated, Stefan Knudsen, and it's called At Thoughts of Dog. (laughs) The person doing the Twitter account is tweeting as a dog would think. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. So if I'm ever, I've added it to my gratitude list. So if I've ever hit a rough patch in my day or whatever, I just go read some Thoughts of Dog, nice and positive and I would imagine that's probably about the way Oreo and Davy think. <laughs> Is there a thoughts of cats? I don't know. I don't do cats. So I, I've had one or two. I've had two cats, three cats in my life. I've had three cats. I had a Siamese cat when I was a kid. And then um, I had a, a cat back in the 80s named Mickey um, after the famous Tony Basil song. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so yeah. fine. You blow my mind. <laughs> hey, Mickey. Uh, and then um, I had Bon Jovi, the cat. But outside of that, I've just had dogs. I haven't gone to look for cats on Twitter, so you might want to do that, Whitney. Oh, I will. So, a lot coming up today. Fortune has released its list of the world's top 50 greatest leaders, and I'm going to talk about that today in our leadership lesson segment. We've got another outstanding guest on tap today that I'm really excited about, and we'll get to all that. But first, you guys have been uh, looking around for some interesting things that are going on in the world right now. So, what have you come up with? There's a lot of changes in technology when it comes to transportation. Here in Columbia, we've, of course, been thinking about like the Hyperloop ever since we were up for a bid for that between Kansas City and St. Louis. And it's actually starting to become a reality, just not in the United States. Yeah, there's a feasibility study being done right now by Black & Veatch, the uh, engineering firm in Kansas City, about the Hyperloop. And uh, I've got a slide on that in my futuristic presentation I do for clients. That would bring about remarkable change in mid-Missouri if we ever had the Hyperloop between St. Louis and Kansas City. But where are they thinking about putting the first Hyperloop? Abu Dhabi has committed to actually building a system. And they're hoping to have it operational by 2020. Wow. And so this is a um, capsule that's placed inside a pneumatic tube that then propels the capsule at high levels of speed. Last I read, it was like 300 miles an hour. And if they get a tube long enough, they can really get it up to over 500 miles an hour. That's a fast transportation mode. Yeah, theoretically, it can go up to 750 miles per hour. But that's probably only at max speed and won't be feasible for a while. 
Uh, you could probably get it up to that between St. Louis and Kansas City. There's probably enough <laughs> straightness straightness there. Right now, the top test speed is around 200 miles per hour, which is very similar to a bullet train. So one thing I will have to know before I ride in it, will it go over or under the Missouri River? Good question. Mm-hmm. I'm sure going at that speed, it won't take long to get past it. So I might not even know if I'm going over or under it. Which would you prefer? Probably to go over. I don't know why. Heights are not my favorite thing, but underneath is not my favorite thing either. So I don't think there are windows anyway. No. Okay, good. So buckle me in and hit the start switch, pal. Push the accelerator. Let's go 700 miles an hour. So how long does that take to get from St. Louis to Kansas City at 700 miles an hour? Probably 10 minutes? We'd have to do math. Okay, well, we don't want to do that. It's not a math show. We don't want to do We don't want to do that. Well, the thing that I, I guess I took away from it is that it's still in development and it's going to cost billions of dollars. And I did do the math. It's about 300 miles across the state. So you figure it takes half an hour to get from St. Louis to Kansas City. Well, you did that fast. <laughs> so what else you got? Ford self-driving car network. Yeah, so of course self-driving cars have been in the works for what? How long now? A decade? Yeah, probably. Yeah. The technology's probably been researched for 10 years or so, and they've got it in some things. I know there are some self-driving farm equipment and some things like that. One of the hardest things that I know the industry is trying to identify is their ability to gather data to be able to create these types of vehicles, because humans know a lot more about driving, not only the action of it, but also how other people behave on the road. And that's data that they need to collect in order for these self-driving vehicles to be become better than human drivers. Yeah. And there was a study done by MIT asking Do we really want them? What's the answer? Research shows a decline in consumer interest. So it looks like, no, they're not really that interested, but they are interested in the technologies being used like automatic brakes, but they still want control of the car. Yeah, we've heard a few recent incidents involving driverless vehicles, so I can understand where the trust factor is coming in. Trust is the question in all of new technology. Are you going to trust the pushing the button in your house and have your laundry detergent delivered? Um, are you going to get in a hyperloop instead of driving? I can remember the day when people were not sure whether or not they'd ever do banking online, uh, whether or not they'd ever do any of their transactions on their smartphone. It's just an evolution. It's just the next stage. The transition from horses to cars, the same conversation was happening. The idea that a horse crash wouldn't be near as bad as a car crash. Well, I can contradict that for you. I've been in some horse crashes in my younger days that might have been just as bad as car crashes. With any new technology, it's going to be a slow startup. With self-driving cars, it's trusting them with your life. I might feel safer because when I think about getting injured in an auto accident, I know what I'm doing. I never worry about me. I always worry about the other people like that I'm out on the highway with. I might be more trusting of an autonomous car being on the other side than I probably trust autonomous car better than I trust myself actually in driving. So would you trust a driverless vehicle, Bill? I would. I think that like Tony was saying, that they were probably be safer than um, humans because humans are easily distracted and driving requires a lot of focus. Well, it would definitely cut down on the, uh, the drunk driving and distracted driving. Right. Well, there wouldn't be drunk driving, would there? I mean, it'd be kind of like... Not if like everyone had it'd, it. Yeah, it'd be kind of like taking a taxi home every... Right. 
every time. So here's my big thing for autonomous cars that I really am looking forward to. And that is we will all go at the same time. So when the light turns green, everyone will move. There will be no spaces and no gaps. Not in sitting at the light, not at the stop sign. I don't know why it bothers me so much, but that person that's like in front of me or two cars up looking down at their phone and the rest of the line has gone and there's 300 feet in front of them, it bothers me. So how about the people that like to drive fast? And I think we know a few. Yeah, so they're, you know, sorry. Sorry, Charlie. No more for you. It'll be like riding a train, right? So no matter what car in the train you're on, it's moving with the other cars. And this will really affect the way that we do any sort of delivery systems. Well, I think FedEx and UPS, uh, I did some research on this a couple of years ago. And logistically, I forget how many millions of dollars they will save on deliveries just due to spacing. You know, too much gap, not enough gap between cars and computers and autonomous cars will be able to eliminate all those gaps, saving a lot of money because it increases the efficiency of the route and the delivery. So passenger carrying drone This is one I had never heard of before. I didn't think about a drone being able to carry an individual. I think it's pretty cool. I think there are a lot of obstacles for it, though. One of them being airspace. It's very restricted. I can't imagine the FAA just allowing it to happen. I'm I'm guessing there'll be all kinds of regulations for it. Yes, flying taxis is, is in my presentation also in the futuristic presentation. And also, this is why a lot of people were skeptical about Amazon's drone delivery service because people didn't think they would be able to have a drone that could carry bigger packages. And, and now they're carrying people. As a matter of fact, if you go on YouTube, you really ought to watch the guy skiing behind a drone. Yeah, so there's a guy in the mountains, and it's a snow ski, but he has got a drone that's pulling him on skis, and it, he's skiing, and he's doing the ski jump and the up the hill, down the hill. Yeah, I, I would not want somebody else being the drone pilot, but outside of that, it might be kind of fun. But I guess it's no different than being behind a boat. Apparently, some of the downsides to the passenger carrying drone is that it's meant only for one passenger, can carry up to 500 pounds, and can only carry for maximum of 23 minutes. So you got to be going somewhere close. But also, you know, the technology is pretty cool in terms of the things that they want to do. They're testing a drone right now that can lift a ton. Maybe our cargo is now flown with a drone opposed to big semis on the freeway. They're also testing drones for military potential. Well, of course. Well, of course, everything seems to move to military at some point, but drones might have military potential for uses in situations like carrying supplies, evacuating personnel, and transporting special forces. Lots of great technology innovations. The world's moving faster than ever before. It takes a certain amount of uh, time just to keep up with it all. So we thought we'd bring you a couple of items that might be of interest to you today on Better Than Before. When we come back, Carmen Simon's going to be here, my good friend and founder of Mimsy. She's a cognitive neuroscientist that's going to tell everybody about my brain. Should be interesting. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. 
text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday morning coaching memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards, excited about today's special guest, good friend of mine, Carmen Simon. And Carmen's a cognitive neuroscientist, author and founder of Mimsy, which is a company that uses brain science to help corporations create memorable messages. Her most recent book, Impossible to Ignore, Create Memorable Content to Influence Decisions, has won the acclaim of publications such as Inc.com, Forbes, and Fast Company, and has been selected as one of the top international books on persuasion. She has two doctorates, one in instructional technology and another in cognitive psychology. Dr. Simon also teaches at Stanford University and speaks frequently at conferences on the importance of using brain science to craft communication that is not only memorable, but sparks action. After all, what's the use of memory if people don't act on it. Welcome to the show, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and uh, welcome everyone. I am so excited to talk to you again. We met last August in Chicago and you were given a presentation and uh, we ended up at the same dinner table that night and had a great conversation. And you've got some ties here to nearby Columbia. (laughs) I definitely do. Yes. Is it okay if I talk about that or? <laughs> not at all. It's, Columbia is not a town that is top of mind for for many people. Right. And uh, I am uh, married to uh, someone who was born there. And uh, our wedding was in uh, Rocheport, Missouri. Yep, just right up the road. And I think your husband actually was born in Higginsville. Isn't that right? Higginsville, yes. Higginsville, which is about halfway between here and Kansas City. And then you guys had your wedding in Rocheport, which is uh, Winery Central over there. And so we found some interesting threads that we had in common just over dinner conversation. Now, you had a unique childhood and background. So tell everybody where you're from, where you grew up. I'm originally from Romania, and um, I grew up there in a very much of a communist context. And I'm smiling because um, people might have different reactions to uh, that kind of background and upbringing. When you're a kid, you're not really aware of all that's happening and the negative consequences. On the contrary, you build off of what feels satisfying to you at the time. So for us, Santa Claus still came, even though we weren't allowed to call him that. We still had parties. We still snuck out of uh, classes. Uh, we, we did most of the things that adolescents uh, used to do. So I look back on those years with a specific fondness. And of course, as a, as a neuroscientist, if I were to analyze my own brain processes for reflecting on my Romania times and those years, it makes sense because nostalgia is such a a sanitized version of the past. So if I were to go back and think, did I really have a good time during those communist years? Of course, I choose to pick out the positive elements. I don't choose to think, well, there are times when we didn't have electricity. There are times when we didn't have any um, heat in our communist little boxy apartments. 
There are times when we had to stand in line for specific things that you wanted to uh, to eat. We would only get bananas twice a year. <laughs> but who cares about all of that? Childhood was beautiful. Well, I think one of the things you told me was television was highly controlled. And you only got one American television show. Is that right? <laughs> yes, we used to have uh, two uh, two TV channels. And uh, one was a mere repetition of the first one. So in case you missed the communist propaganda one evening, you could for sure get it again on that second channel the second day. <laughs> right. And so what was the one show you watched? The one show that was religion for all people in Romania in a country that didn't really endorse religion was Dallas. You did not miss Dallas on Thursday nights. I think it was if you you would have had to have a great excuse not to join your family or friends to watch an episode of Dallas. But didn't you tell me that you got cut off before the cliffhanger aired? You never got to find out the answer to the cliffhanger, right? Oh, it was just uh, such a, an intriguing moment. As a neuroscientist, I usually link that to how the brain looks for closure. There was one episode in Dallas where Suelle and one of the prominent women at uh, South Fork Ranch was seen wearing uh, very inappropriate cleavage. So the communist president and his wife were watching the show and she deemed that scene so inappropriate that the show was to be off the air. And unfortunately, at the same show, the last scene that we could see was one of the other women from South Fork Ranch was floating on the pool, apparently dead. So none of us got to see and find out who in the world was it floating in the swim pool. And it was only years later when we had the revolution and in an atypically Romanian way, we killed the president and his wife. And when we brought things back, forget about freedom of speech or better education what did we bring back first it was dallas and finally <laughs> the brain could come to full closure in realizing that indeed it was Kristen that was floating on top of the pool you've worked on some pretty cool projects why don't you share with everybody some of the things that you've done i've worked on uh, various projects all inspired by this fascination of how how the brain works and uh, lately my research has been um, geared towards are we able to impact other people's memories to the way, to the extent that we want to? And uh, even if we're connecting this notion with what I was just sharing about Dallas, imagine those people's memories were left unclosed, so to speak, for that show for about five years. And yet the memory was still strong. Wouldn't we in corporate communication, for instance, want to have such long-term memories implanted in other people's brains? The answer should be a full yes, because your customers, whoever you're dealing with right now, act in your favor based on what they remember, not on what they forget. So a few projects that I've been embarking on lately have been answering this question, how can you stay on people's minds long enough so that you can determine what they do next? I've been doing um, a few research projects. For instance, one was uh, I was asking people, how much do you really remember from a PowerPoint presentation after 48 hours? In that test, I was sharing with people a deck of slides that had only 20 slides. And after 48 hours, uh, well, take a quick guess. How many slides do you think people remembered after 48 hours out of 20? Two. Ooh, I, I like your aggressive answer. And I think for most part, your answer would have probably been correct. In my version of the research, because I had to control the messaging that, that went into it, 
we kept things very simple. So each slide had only one message, which hardly ever happens in corporate communication right. and in business presentations. So on average, they remembered four. But that wasn't the surprising finding. The surprising finding was that out of 1,500 people who watched that presentation, a third of my population came back with the question after 48 hours only, what presentation? So 500 people remembered zero slides. Wow. Yeah, I just guessed 10%. Yes. You know, so. <laughs> 10% is a very good, uh, good guess because on average – that's how much we remember after 48 hours. If somebody exposes you to some content and when your audience comes to your content without the intent to remember, they'll forget about 90% of that content. So at the meeting we met in Chicago, you were doing a demonstration, speaking of PowerPoint presentations, where during your presentation, you had a, a subject there at our table, you had a brain cap on their head and you were monitoring their brain waves while you were giving your presentation. So tell everybody how that works. That's uh, EEG uh, technology and uh, it stands for electroencephalogram, which means the writing of the brain waves. You see, when you're exposed to stimulation, your neurons communicate with each other in that process. There are some electrochemical responses that are happening. And with improved technology these days, we're able to place electrodes on people's scalps and with some amplifiers that exist in, the, in those electrodes, we can see the signal that is being generated and the electricity that is being generated. And your brain at any given moment is abuzz with quite a few of these waves. Some of them have a larger amplitude and a smaller frequency. Some of them are the opposite. Some brain waves are having a smaller amplitude and a much higher frequency. So I can read those at the time that you're being exposed to stimulation. And some of those waves correlate with your sense of attention, your sense of perception, how much focus do you have in the moment, all of these being precursors to memory. So I can tell that if something is gearing you towards heightened attention, then you're more likely to remember those elements. So two days or more after an experiment like this, I will send the subject the question, well, what is it that you remember from what you saw? And then I can correlate those memories with what was happening in their brain at the time. So all that work that we're putting into those presentations, a lot of it's not sticking, right? No, no. In fact, most of it is, is not sticking. And the question becomes then, well, what does stick? What, what is something that um, we know for sure can stay in people's minds for a long time? And the more we do these kinds of studies, the more we move away from opinion and move towards evidence. Because so far, how do we know what stays in somebody's memory? Well, you can ask them or you can observe their behavior. So if they're remembering something, they're more likely to act. But these days, with some of these technologies, we can actually peek underneath the human skull and realize what's happening despite of what you say you're going to remember. Because, for instance, I've done some of these experiments where somebody in the audience is witnessing uh, a boss's presentation. And, of course, you have a heightened sense of attention or you, you want to because now it's the boss talking, so surely you should be focused. But just the other day, I was doing an experiment like this, and I'm noticing something that is confirmed by research elsewhere, which reminds us that during our awake hours, only 49% are we really focused. Most of the time, we, our mind wanders. So I could tell that this guy's mind is wandering 
in real time and he's not fully focused, although he wants to be. But by default, our brain does wonder. So after we met in Chicago, I immediately went and bought your book, Impossible to Ignore, and I read it. And a lot of great tools in the book, but I'm curious, crafting these memorable messages and doing the work, what inspired you to do this kind of work? I was inspired because I got so humbled by how much and how quickly the brain forgets. So as anybody listening to us right now, you're probably thinking, or you should be thinking, to what extent am I staying on people's minds? And am I humbled enough by how fallible memory is? So, for example, I was um, watching that movie, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Have you seen that movie? Yes. And I saw the, uh, the Swedish version. And I got so intrigued by that movie. I, um, I read the book. I saw the movie again. And there's one scene in that movie where the main heroine, who is just such a dark and edgy character, and she's powerful, and she's secretive, and she just has this mystery about her. She's seen at one point in a 22-room apartment that she had bought with some illicit money. And she's looking over Stockholm. And there was such a beautiful scene that I thought, I must see what she saw. So I booked a flight from my, from here. I live uh, near San Francisco. San Francisco to Stockholm went all the way over there and spent five beautiful days enjoying all sorts of galleries and canals and the people and the ice bars and all sorts of other beautiful things. And on my way to the airport to come back to San Francisco, I'm thinking, sitting there in the cab thinking, wasn't there something that I was supposed to see here? I had totally forgotten about all the darkness and the edginess of the character and the girl with the dragon tattoo. And, you know, they do tours of that uh, of that place. I could have so easily gotten there. So imagine if we forget our own content and things that are exciting and relevant to us, how much do other people forget from what we share with them? And that just jump-started my journey onto finding out what stays on people's minds. In your book, you talk about the modern approach to memory. What's that? I like looking at uh, memory from a different approach. Usually our reaction to memory is that it's related to the past. We're going back to the day we got married in Missouri or we can go back to a childhood in Romania or to some other things that uh, are fun and we're fond of in the past. But memory from a brain science perspective and from an evolutionary perspective hasn't evolved to help us keep track of the past. Memory has evolved to help us keep track of the future. And this is a a different angle because we have to think about it carefully. Like, for instance, if I were to ask you, tell me some memory problems that you had in the past week. I guarantee that 60 to 80 percent of the memory problems that you have are not with you forgetting the past. They are related to you forgetting an intention that you have set for the future. So you may have left the office and you said, I'm going to send that email right before I leave the office. Or you may have said, I'm going to pick up my dry cleaning on the way back to, uh, to home from work. And, and you forget. So you set these intentions for the future and they don't happen. So that's the notion of prospective memory, which is remembering to act on a future intention. Contrast that with retrospective memory, which is remembering the past. Remembering the past is still useful from an evolutionary perspective. How can we think about the future unless we recall some things in the past that have served us well? 
but retrospective memory, there is very, there's not as much evolutionary value in it. It's a prospective memory that we as business people have to consider more because the question for all of us in business is this, will customers remember what you're saying right now at point A sometime at point B in the future when they have to make a decision in your favor? When you're designing content, making a presentation, or trying to communicate with a customer, what are those few things you have to make sure you do so you get anchored in so they do remember? So imagine this. Uh, there are quite a few techniques that can be applicable, but let's just look at a, at a few. So as you're presenting your value proposition, let's just say right now at point A, you have to ask the question, what is it that will appear in people's worlds at point B that can trigger this memory and enable people to act? So, for instance, let's just say that um, we'll take an environmentally friendly uh, example. A lot of people these days are trying to convince us to reuse bags when you go shopping. And I put one in, in the trunk of my car. In fact, these days I have quite a few of them. But gosh darn it, I just have it in the trunk and then I'm in the store and then I realize, oh, it's still in the but my bag is in the trunk. I haven't I haven't brought it here. So how could people convince us to remember for us to carry the bag sometime some in the future when you're at the store? I'm noticing some grocery stores do these things really well. They have this, this giant announcement in the parking lot. So as you park the car, you see this announcement that says, bring your bag in. So it's a good reminder where finally I'm not forgetting my bags as, uh, as much because that announcement is there. So as a creator of a messaging from, from this point, let's just say that I'm creating some advertisement for environmentally friendly uh, actions. It wouldn't serve me well to just simply say in my TV commercial or an email that I send out, hey, don't forget to bring your bag to uh, the grocery store. In that message that I create, if I already prime your brain with a message that you're going to see in the parking lot that says, you will bring your bag into the store, see, I'm already putting myself in the future. I already see what you're going to see, and that acts as a trigger. I think one of the mistakes that people make at point A is they don't, they don't think enough of what in people's worlds is going to appear that can act as a trigger for our memories. Because you see, your customers are not going to sit around their desks trying to bring memories on their own around your product or around your service. It helps more if there is something in their environment that triggers that memory. So can you look for a trigger of your memory that exists naturally in your customer's space? You know, the way a lot of people approach their advertising is for all your memory needs. I can't just say for all your memory needs. No, <laughs> no. And that's something related to how to improve your own memory. For us to right. exist in business, we have to start being more concerned about how to improve other people's memories. And the more that we can hook our content into something that exists in people's environment at point B, the stronger the likelihood for action. Like, for instance, let's just say that I was trying to convince you to eat in a healthier kind of way, and I knew that each day you would be going to a cafeteria, and I would think, okay, so what do you see at the cafeteria? I'll probably see a tray on which you're placing your food. Instead of me just creating some disembodied advertisement, uh, let's just say I'll give you a poster that says, hey, eat healthy, because when you do, you're going to live five years longer or whatever, or eat an extra apple a day, and that has benefits. What if I were to put that message directly on the tray that you see at point B, and that is going to trigger your memory of healthy eating? It's a much easier way into people's memories when there are triggers in our environment. 
here at Clear Vision, in a lot of my work with CEOs and their executive teams, we use a lot of neuroscientific principles in team building, in culture building, in message sharing. We also do it in brand building through some of Anne Marie's work. And people are becoming more and more familiar with the terms neuroscience, neuromarketing, neurobranding, things like that. But Give me some insight. Where is all of this brain science leading us? Where is it going to take us in the future? I'm hoping it will be easier for people to include it in decisions that they make in terms of how they create their communication and how they create their marketing and, and the clear vision. I love the name of the, your, your company, by the way. Thank you. Because if we're talking about memory, what is one of the reasons that people forget so much is the lack of clarity as to what they should remember. So many people get so bogged down in a lot of content that they want to share and they're very excited about uh, many things that they want to impart to the customer. But when something is clear and there is that clear vision, then you have more chances for memory. And the technology these days is getting a lot easier to helping us understand what sticks. So in my case, I'm using a lot of the EEG technology. If you had even bigger budgets, you could expose your potential customers to uh, some messages that you're creating by putting them in fMRI machines. That's a little bit uh, more involving of an experiment, but these days it's getting easier, and I'm sure that in the future it will be not only easier but cheaper as well. Mm-hmm. We have lots and lots of technologies that these days are enabling us to move away from simply asking people what they remember or what they like and reading their brains. Fantastic. Well, I love your work. And of course, I enjoy having you as my friend. You're on the cutting edge of a lot of this stuff that I think is going to help people in the future as we all try to struggle with having better memory and and having better messages. And as a presenter, I really appreciate your trying to help us hone our craft because the whole point is to try to make your message memorable because you're trying to convey messages. You're trying to teach people. You know that you have value when you create more value with others. And I really appreciate you helping us do a better job of that. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm hoping that the clarity of our message for our audience today is to be sure that they have theirs. You bet. When you have a clear message, you're more likely to uh, to stay in people's minds. And when you're staying on people's minds, you're more likely to influence what they do next because people do act on what they remember, not on what they forget. That is the truth. So I've got a standard list of closing questions I'm going to shoot to you. I've got 12 that I'm going to shoot to you in rapid fire succession. And consequently, number one is best memory that immediately comes to mind for you. Ooh, we can uh, go just really small and, and trivial because sometimes those are the juiciest memories. I just am very hooked on this dessert that's called Tres Leches. So for anyone listening, if you haven't had this dessert, uh, you have to got to seek it because I guarantee that it will create a sweet memory for you as well. Spell it for me. Tres. I think it, it means three milks in Spanish. So it's T-R-E-S and uh, L-E-C-H-E-S. Okay, great. We can put that in our Google machine. Yeah. <laughs> Number one hero in your life. Ooh, it changes uh, constantly. But these days, it's my mother. My dad passed away a few years back, and uh, now she's uh, rebuilding at the age of uh, 65 a house. She's moving away. She's willing to give up all her old habits and routines in favor of new ones. 
And since we're talking about the brain, if you, for any of your customers, you can convince them to leave the old behind and seek something new with the renewed energy, oh, isn't that a wonderful space to be? One of my favorite sayings is don't look back. You're not going that way, right? Yes, I like that. Top value you subscribe to. Oh, I really like this uh, this notion of ease. When you have ease in your life, many things can happen because the brain acts on energy and sometimes it has it and sometimes it doesn't. And when we can um, create ease for ourselves and others, the world evolves. I love keeping it simple, right? You seem like a person who really tries to simplify. Yeah. <laughs> Most important person in your life? Oh, Carly, definitely my uh, my husband. He's a pilot and he um, he supports things that I do in unique ways. He has a very organized, checklist-oriented mind. And uh, since we're talking about simplicity and ease, to have something that's organized and the reminder of that constantly, oh, it's a good thing. What's your favorite thing? <laughs> My favorite thing is uh, the outdoors. All right. Since we're talking about energy and being energized to do things, I go to the outdoors and I receive that instantly. Favorite food? Ooh, I really love mashed potatoes. All right. Most beautiful place you've been to? New Zealand. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Mm, one word, I'll take one phrase, which is not setting an alarm clock. All right. How do you want to be remembered? Ha! Huh. As um, somebody who did not settle. Advice for a younger you? A younger me would be to invest early. What's your favorite sound? <laughs> My husband pulling in after a trip. He's a pilot, so he's gone for quite a few days. And that sound on the driveway from his truck, I really like that. And finally, best lesson you've learned? Oh, I learned, let's see, just recently that... Um, being kind is a lot more important than being right. So true. So tell me your company's name, Mimsy. Give me your website. Mimsy. It's M-E-M-Z-Y dot com. And the first three letters are meaningful because uh, anybody listening to us right now can use these three segments, which are memory, emotion, and motivation. If you can enable them in any of your customers, you will stay in business for a long time. That's fantastic. The name of the book is Impossible to Ignore, Create Memorable Messages and Memorable Content to Influence Decisions. Are you going to write another book? <laughs> yes, I'm in the process of doing another one. Um, it's simply called How to Be Memorable. Anyone listening, if uh, they have uh, any type of content that they were able to somehow make memorable in their own audiences and have some benefits as a result of that, I would love to quote you in the book. If you are an event planner or a conference planner and you want to have an absolutely great speaker with some great content, you know it's well-researched, you need to contact Carmen Simon. Carmen, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you again. Thank you so much, Tony, and thank you for everyone for listening, and um, I look forward to hearing examples of how you're able to stay on people's minds and influence what they do next. I want to thank Carmen Simon for being on the show today, cognitive neuroscientist and founder of Mimsy, outstanding content. You learned everything you ever wanted to know about neuroscience, I'm sure. When Better Than Before comes back, I'll have this week's leadership lesson. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? 
Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to today's podcast, and we're going to talk about this week's leadership lesson. Fortune Magazine has come out with their World's 50 Greatest Leaders list. I'm going to talk about the top 10, and then out of the top 50, I'm going to just talk about five that I really admire outside of the top 10. So, number one is the students, which are the students who started the Hashtag Never Again movement, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and the other schools that were involved in that. Number two is Bill and Melinda Gates from the Gates Foundation. Number three is the Me Too movement. Number four is Moon Jae-in, president of South Korea. Number five is Kenneth Frazier, the CEO of Merck. Number six is Scott Gottlieb, the FDA commissioner. Number seven is Marguerite Vestager, who is the commissioner for competition for the European Union. Number eight is Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock. Number nine is General Joseph Dunford, who's the chairman of our Joint Chiefs of Staff in Washington. And number 10 is Liu He, who's the vice premier of the nation of China. So those are the top 10 that uh, Fortune picked for the top 50 leaders in the world. So let's start with number one, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and some other classmates of hers and some other classmates from other schools around the country who came up, launched the hashtag never again crusade. And they had that uh, historic rally in Washington, D.C. Everything from eight-year-olds to 11-year-olds participated in that. And certainly I was affected by some of that stuff because there was a shooting at a neighboring school to my high school where I grew up in my hometown at Marshall County High School in western Kentucky. And uh, my folks uh, knew several people who had children and grandchildren in the school. None of them, thank God, who were shot or wounded or, or killed. But certainly violence in schools has been at the forefront of the news. And these students and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas is the one with the shaved head. I think 60 Minutes, I think I saw a 60 Minutes story on her. And she's really been in the media a lot. So they named the collectively the students behind that movement as number one. Number two, Bill and Melinda Gates were named number two in the top 10 leaders of the world. And their big deal is the fact that their foundation, one of its major objectives is to conquer the disease malaria. The global rate of infection is back high again. They had gotten it down quite a bit, but they dedicate a whole lot of their funds to fighting that uh, mosquito spread disease, which also is being 
being combated by DNA scrambling. They're trying to figure out a way to modify mosquitoes so they don't carry the disease. Number three, hashtag Me Too movement. Tarana Burke, who was the activist who began using this phrase, Me Too, in 2006 to describe sexual abuse in the workplace, caused the downfall of such executives as Harvey Weinstein, Steve Wynn, the casino CEO. Also, didn't that cause Kevin Spacey? Didn't he have some problems with that too because of some things in his past? Mm -hmm. So he got uh, released by Netflix from the House of Cards show. Yeah, it's about sexual harassment and sexual abuse in the workplace and related careers. Number four is Moon Jae-in, president of South Korea. We hear a lot about Kim Jong-un, who is the president of North Korea, but evidently Moon, who's the president of South Korea, has been very instrumental in setting up the meetings between Kim and President Trump which I understand is supposed to happen over the next couple of weeks. South Korea playing a part in bringing the United States and North Korea together in negotiations. Number five, Kenneth Frazier, who's the CEO of Merck, which is a drug manufacturing company. Uh, He was one of the first of President Trump's advisors to speak out and step down, uh, saying he disagreed with the president. Had a lot of success at Merck since he took over in 2011. The pharma giant has made strides in treating several cancers, and its stock regularly beats the S&P 500. So Kenneth Frazier, pretty successful. I'm not sure exactly why they named him number five. I don't know if it's because he was the first to quit, which doesn't correlate to leadership to me, but... Um, I guess that might be why. Number six is Scott Gottlieb, who's the FDA commissioner. That is the Food and Drug Administration. His leadership has been very instrumental in pushing for creative ways to slow the skyrocketing rise of medicine prices. Don't I know it? Um, Development of digital health technologies. He's embraced more efficient clinical trial designs for drugs. And he's aggressively tried to reduce cigarette smoking. And uh, he's also been a champion against opioids. Number seven is Marguerite Vestager. And Marguerite is the commissioner for competition in the European Union. She's the one that hit Apple with a $14.5 billion tax bill in 2016. After saying its tax benefits in Ireland were illegal. Tim Cook, by the way, had something to say about that too. He called it total political crap. Alphabet, she fined $2.7 billion for antitrust violations in 2017. And so a lot of uh, other government leaders are now following her lead. Number eight on the list is Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock. You may or may not know this, but he's the one who has come out against gun retailers and has asked gun retailers to have a more stringent policy, more violence prevention, and keep a closer watch on people that they sell guns to. He's the one that's kind of come out with that stuff. Number nine is General Joseph Dunford. Uh, He is the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and uh, he has managed to stay on the staff, So, which I guess earns him number nine on the leadership list. And number 10 is Liu He, who's the Vice Premier of China. China has been one of the emerging economies in the world now for a while, pushing itself into the global marketplace, and he has guided the country's revolution from an industrial economy to a consumer economy. And he's also going to be very instrumental in trying to avoid a trade war with the United States as President Trump pushes the tariff issue, trying to equal the trade balance between the United States and China. 
those are the top 10. Now, I picked out five leaders that I admire for various reasons. Two of them come from the athletic world. One of them comes from a car manufacturer. One of them comes from a tech company. And one of them comes from a bank. So first of all, number 11, which I would make a strong argument she belongs in the top 10 and she's been in the top 10 in the past but I highly admire Mary Barra of General Motors who's the CEO because even in today's business world even though we've made lots of strides there are not a lot of female CEOs and she is in the world's largest auto company and she runs it all I very highly admire Mary for the job she's done at General Motors she basically has brought them back from bankruptcy and from the recession in 08 and 09, and I just think she does a fabulous job. Number 12, I uh, also put high stock in, and that's Nick Saban, who's the football coach at the University of Alabama. Alabama football is a lot like Kentucky basketball, where everybody says, oh, them again? They're in it again? They're going to be after the national championship again? Well, there's a reason why Crimson Tide continually is in the top of college football every year, and Nick Saban who was a teammate of our former football coach here at the University of Missouri, Gary Pinkle. I mean, the proof is in the results, right? So he must just do a fabulous job because Alabama not only has a great history, but also has a great past, you know, 10 years or so that's just been fantastic. Number 14 on the list is Tim Cook, the aforementioned CEO of Apple. It's the biggest company in the world. Okay. So I got to give kudos to Tim Cook for a running the biggest company in the world, which there's a constant flip back and forth between Apple and Exxon about who's number one and who's number two. Currently Apple is number one. And because Tim Cook took over for a cultural icon. I mean, he took over for Steve Jobs. Who wants to follow that act? Tim Cook has done that. I've been a shareholder of Apple a long time. I'm very pleased with the job Tim Cook's done. Number 15 from the athletic world, I picked Serena Williams. I admire her. She didn't play tennis for a lot of last year because she was pregnant and she was having a baby. She had complications with the baby. She has been a strong voice for pregnancy issues and a large percentage of the population who have pregnancy difficulties is African-American. So she is doing a great job speaking out and being a leader in that area. So not only is she a fabulous tennis player, but she's doing some great societal work too. And number 33 on the fortune list, and that would be number five on my list out of the 11 to 50 leaders, Jamie Dimon, who runs JP Morgan Chase, the largest bank in the world, just does a, a miraculous, fantastic job. JP Morgan Chase does great job every year, makes money, has a great culture, does a wonderful job. One of the smartest business people walking the face of the earth today. So I would say Jamie Dimon would also be in my top five outside of Fortune's top 10. So that's the top 10 from Fortune and also five of my leaders outside the top 10 that I would have in my own personal top five. That's a wrap for today's podcast, Better Than Before. I want to thank our special guest, Carmen Simon, for being on today. Thanks to producer Bill and project manager Whitney for their outstanding technology stories we covered earlier. Don't forget to leave a review for us. Two things I would ask you to do. Leave a positive review for us and also subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes of Better Than Before. You can download the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't know where to get them, you can do it on 
iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and a few other places. I'll see you next time on the Better Than Before show. And don't forget, if I don't see you before then, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.